Uh, my name is Stephanie Jones-Fasu. My husband and I uh, facilitate the Northwest uh, Community Group in Charlotte. And I'll be reading uh, the scriptures this morning. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27. For the body does consist of one member, but of many. If the foot shall, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it um, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he choose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, uh, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and all those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with our more pre presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. Luke 18, 28 through 30. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. John 15, 8 through 13. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Amari Hill. For those of you who are guests, I'm uh, one of the assistant pastors here uh, at Christ Central. And what we've been doing uh, for the past several weeks now is uh, have doing a sermon series called Asking for a Friend, and we're looking at barriers to belief. So friends of ours who may have certain barriers to um, entrusting their lives to Jesus Christ. And now I, I have to do the disclaimer uh, that we've been doing uh, every single week as we've been exploring some of these issues, uh, and especially like an issue uh, that we'll explore today. Uh, and it's, it's this, that with all these different topics, it's like, it, it's impossible to, to go through every single angle in one sermon. Like, as I started having conversations with other people that this past week about this topic that we're going to explore here in just a few minutes, 
I just, I found that there were all kinds of ways, all kinds of perspectives, all kinds of issues around this one thing. And so it's kind of like a diamond, right, where you can't see all the angles in one glance. So I just want to just let you know that as I'm speaking to you this morning, you're, you're going to get one glance. But the purpose of, of us as we've been up here, different, uh, different pastors, that we've been up here um, talking to you about these barriers to belief, um, asking for a friend, is to provoke discussion. So that as you're going through some of these things and you have questions, that you would bring it back to your jobs, bring it back to your homes, bring it and put it on Instagram, start conversations uh, with people that you know, um, and then even come back to our leaders and say like, hey, can we dig a little bit deeper into this? We would love to be able to do that, that sort of deal. So this is the, you know, you're not going to hear, uh, it, you know, as I talk today, there are going to be some things that you hear, you're going to be like, man, you know, he didn't talk about that when he brought this up. Just know that that's on purpose and that a sermon is limited, right? We can't do, it's not like a lecture where I have like two hours. I, don't, I would never want to preach for two hours. I'm not even asking for that, but I'm just saying if we were preaching for two hours, you would, we still wouldn't be able to get to um, all the different angles of these kinds of topics. So why are Christians so focused on families? Now, at, at first glance, that doesn't seem like a negative thing. Like, why would that be a barrier to belief? Or maybe as this, this thing came up or, you know, some of you that uh, are part of families, love your family, that sort of deal, you saw this topic, I mean, it just made you a little bit nervous. You're like, uh-oh, um, what's the pastor about to do? Is this one of those churches, right? I, I think I need to get out of here. You know, this, how, is, like, how is, like, focusing on the family, how is that a bad thing? How could that be a barrier to someone else giving her life to Christ? And, like, even suggesting that focusing on our families can be a barrier to belief seems anti-Christian. It almost seems even anti-American. But that there, my friends, is where the problem lies. When it comes to the church's commitment to the family, we're sometimes not sure where the differences between the biblical idea of family health and American family values begin. We're not, kind of sh we're not quite sure what, what's the difference between what we hold dear socially and politically, if you're on that side of things with promoting family values, and where, where, where does that begin and where does the biblical picture of a healthy family begin. Let, let me get to this, uh, why, it's, why it's a barrier. Let me break it down. And again, this is, you know, there are all kinds of angles to this, right? There are all kinds of ways in which this, uh, 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 the church and Christians focusing on family can become a barrier. But I wanna, I wanna examine one, just one in our culture. Remember the 80s? Those of you who are old enough, do you remember the, remember the 80s, right? Back in the day, torn jeans, walking around, high top fade, right? Uh, you know, to all kinds of weird clothing, you got coloring in your hair and that sort of deal. Oh, all, right, all right, so some people do that now. <laughs> but so the 80s have sort of come back, right? But, but remember back then, right? And, 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 you know, back in that day, and, and uh, you know, it was sort of like, also, it was also the time of the, as we know now, the, the infamous war on drugs. And during that time, there were 
you know, there were, there were lots of dropouts, right? The, the rate of, of high school dropouts is pretty high. And where I grew up in, in New York City, and I'm sure for a lot of you, you were seeing people just, you know, robbing other people, stuff like that, like back in the 80s. And uh, it, it seemed like drug abuse was, was getting higher. So people were just getting high, folk getting robbed. You know, you walk out in the street and you just see, like, uh, uh, people on the corner ready to, you know, looking to take somebody's sneakers and all that kind of stuff, right? That, that was part of the 80s. And so what our, what our civil leaders decided, what they said in order to, to deal with that is they, they said, uh, among other things, is we needed to enforce family values to help the situation. So we said things like, read to your kids, right? Remember uh, RIF, reading is fundamental, that whole campaign, right? Read to your kids, teach them abstinence. Remember that? It was a big deal, right, to start teaching that stuff, you know, family values. And, it, you, know, and you know you were born in the 80s if you could complete the, this statement from a, from a commercial that came on that night. It's 10 o'clock. Exactly. Do you know where your children are? That was like, right, get them off the streets. Family values, right? And that, that, this, this, was, this was stuff that was supported by our government on the federal and the state and the local level. And, and, and again, you know, there, there's a tension here, right? Because all of our educators in the house, all of our teachers know that when a student is misbehaving or when they're not quite performing well, one of the first questions that you ask is what? What's going on at home, right? So, so we, we focus on the, the family values. We, we focus on what, what's happening in the home. And home is definitely important. And it has huge implications for our society's stability. And so it's, it, it shouldn't be strange, and it, and it should be accepted, it should be celebrated, that not just in, uh, on, in our homes on a personal level, but also with, within those who uh, are governmental structures, that there's a huge push for family values. We should celebrate that. Okay, but let's go back to my original question. How does focusing on family health and family health in the church become a barrier to people believing in Jesus? The answer is this. I believe that many churches were well-meaning during this time in the 80s and beyond early 90s and such, and they saw a need in our society, and they also saw an opportunity to be able to attract new people to the church, attract new people to Christ, and we went full blast on family ministries at the expense of people with a relationship status of divorced, widowed, never married, or even it's complicated. I could almost retitle this sermon as when family values hurt. See, as a result, the church has participated in its subtle, and it's very subtle now, a subtle relational apartheid. Now, that's a strong word, but, it, but I use that on purpose because we need to understand that in many of our churches, there's preferential treatment given to those who are married, and especially those who are married with children over our single sisters and brothers. And as a result, many people walk away from the church and even walk away from the faith. The good news is, God intends to bring healing in this area that singles and marrieds may have a full life 
with one another and connect the world to Jesus. But in, in order to experience that healing, that reconciliation, we got to do some things, right? Because if we're talking about an apartheid, it just, then it, it's not just pursuing reconciliation, but you got to bring truth into it, right? There has to be truth and reconciliation. So that, that's where we're going to go this morning. What we need to be able to do is we need to expose the lies about our relationship, the relationship between marrieds and, and singles. We need to be able to remember the truth of our relationship, and we need to embrace the promise for our relationship. And we need to expose the lies, remember the truth, embrace the promise. So the, the first one is going to, I'm going to take a little bit more time just getting into the, you know, ex exposing these lies, and then we're going to get into the, the truth and also the promise. So we need to expose these lies. I mean, the first one is this, is that in order to be a mature or complete Christian, you have to start a family. It's absolutely not true, right? After all, all of us know that, um, that the, you know, these, these healthy marriages, right, healthy marriages are what really holds our community together, right? That's, that's what really holds it together, right? Um, <laughs> right, and if, if we believe that, then we believe that only married people can help us, right? Especially if you're married, you're really, oh, oh, you know, we're, we're so scared about not getting our marriages right. There's so much pressure in our marriages. There's so much uh, pressure in to be a good parent. You know, if you have children, it's, it's overwhelming being a parent. And being a parent, I can say, yeah, amen, I know, it's, it's overwhelming, right? But yet, you know, in, in an effort to get help, why do we ditch our single friends, right? And if you're single, you know what this feels like. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because what I'm talking about is abandonment, right? Some, some of you, you know, you know this, this has happened. You, you walk with a friend through the thick and thin. I mean, just... Good roommates there for each other, holding on. I mean, had nobody else to, to cry to, you know, no one else's shoulders to lean on. But as soon as they get married, what happens? Just, just, yep. Just drop you like a bad habit. As if that relationship didn't matter. Right? And then you're sitting there wondering, like, didn't our years together, the months and the, the tears that we cried and the joy that we had together, did that mean anything? Was that nothing? Was that all just an illusion? It's like you've gone through a divorce almost. And, and then, you know, and then, we, and then it's just it's hard to begin to invest in friendships and begin to invest in, 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 in other people, right, with this threat of marriage. Not death the threat of marriage over your relationship. I mean, it's just hanging there, and it's right around the corner. What are you supposed to do? Now, you're just supposed to cut that person loose, right, so they can be complete. Are you just supposed to cut your single friends loose so that you can be complete? As a single person, you just have to say goodbye to your friend now who is now married so that they can grow up. Time for you to get out of the way. Single brothers and sisters are being left behind. And many of them feel like they're obligated to get out of the way and not express any of their grief. 
can feel guilty about having to say goodbye to a friend, losing a, a, certain, a certain quality of a relationship, not even being able to go to your friend and say, I'm going to miss you, or what can we do? Can we still be friends even though you get married? What can we? You can't even go there, right? Because there are pressures. There's this idea that in order for people to be mature, complete Christians, they have to start a family. They have to get married. And so who, if you're a really good friend, you step out of the way, right? Don't make them feel bad. But grief should be felt, not suppressed. To all of my single sisters and brothers in here who have felt that grief, who have felt abandoned by friends who've gotten married, I say to you, I'm sorry. As a married man, I'm sorry. And I, and I, I want you to I want you to be able to know that, uh, especially those of you who, who are married, if you're married and, you, and you, you're thinking about this right now as you hear me speak and you've dropped one of your friends or several friends who are single, I think you need to go back and apologize to them. You need to tell them I'm sorry and acknowledge the hurt. Now, you know, because... And, you know, I'm not getting this just from some, I'm not developing my own kind of uh, sentimental view here of our, our relationships. This actually comes from God's word. Like we, we, what the scriptures you've read this morning, uh, the first one comes from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is one of the first fathers of the church. And he addresses this idea of elitism in the church, right? Marrieds being promoted over singles, right? Marrieds giving getting a preference in the church over those who are not married. He says that all members of the church, uh, using this, this sort of this body metaphor, uh, are important. Look again at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. He says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care. You get that? The same care for one another. So when the whole body suffers, right, like the whole body suffers when one of, the, one of its members suffer. The whole body suffers if it can't see. Right? Your whole body suffers if you can't walk. So we're deceived if we think that the church would be further along without singles or even marrieds who have no children. We're deceived when the church begins to promote marrieds over singles. And again, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very subtle thing. Very subtle. Let me give you some examples. I think you find this to be familiar. Um, why is it when it comes to some programming in a lot of churches that you'll find classes on marriage and parenting, but none on singleness? Right? Or, 
Or, you know, why, why does it seem like that, that in some churches, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you were looking for a community group leader, a small group leader, uh, we tend to look first for a married woman before looking for a single woman. Okay, here's another one. I told my wife about this, and you're like, uh-oh. Um, when, it, <laughs> when it comes to the election of our officers, when we think about who should be an elder in our church, why do we look first at the family man and not a single man? Didn't, well, you know, you know and we look at the scriptures, right? We, we, we look at it. Like, you know, see, this is where we have to check our, our cultural lenses and re-examine it because we'll read scriptures sometimes and we'll look at what Paul says about elders and officers and stuff like that. And, and we'll say, well, yeah, didn't, didn't Paul say that an elder has to be a husband of, of one wife and that an elder has to be a manager, a, good, a, a manager of his household? But yeah, yeah, he does say that. But if we would take that, the way that we think we should, then Paul would exclude himself. Paul was a single man, right? So, so why, why is it, could, couldn't a widow lead a small group in our church? Couldn't a 50-year-old man who has never been married be an elder in our church? We need to rethink our biases and expose the lies about our relationships in order to pursue reconciliation in order to experience it. So as with most of our relationship struggles, though, there are always two sides to every story, right? So Paul helps us see the other side. He helps us look, look at a, another lie that keeps non-marrieds as single-class citizens in the church. And this other lie is this, that, that single don't need to commit. Singles don't need to commit. Right now, now some of the marrieds in here are saying, you know, you won't say it out loud, but some of you are saying, "Amen, <laughs> amen." You got all that disposable time, right? <laughs> Come on in here and get the church work done. <laughs> you know, step on it. You know, like shoot, I, I like to be able to take off to a uh, and, and travel to another continent. You know, you know, just when I feel like it, right? <laughs> Go travel, you know, I, I just like to go hang out with my friends in Nodal, you know, like one hour before I think of it, you know, just, That's right. uh, like, uh, you know, should we, should we go? Yeah, we shall, let's go. <laughs> when you got kids, though, there's no way, you know. <laughs> so, right, but, you know, and, well, actually, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's really the, the empty nesters and the, the dinks, right? The uh, dual income with no kids that really live in, this, in the sweet spot because they don't have any kids and they can also trust the one that they're going home with, right? So they're really in the sweet spot, right? But, 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 but you know, seriously, like, like married, sometimes we look at singles with, with envy sometimes, don't we? Like we just, we envy their lives. Right? And, uh, you know, they, you're able to leave a job to walk away from a career and try something new without worrying about what, how much food you're putting on the table for somebody else. Right? Some people have families, they feel stuck. You know, I, I, can't, I can't leave this job because of what, what's going to happen to my kids. But if being a complete Christian, being a really mature human being is about getting married, 
then, uh, then Christians are not going to provide much for a vision of singleness. Right? If, if, if maturity, if, if being complete in Christ is mostly about or is, is central, is, is uh, centered on building a family, then we're never going to develop a vision for singleness. And so this leaves our single brothers and sisters, single Christians, wide open for our society's message, which is to use your freedom for yourself. There's no vision. But once again, Paul speaks truth for our healing. Because look again at, at, at chapter 12 and verse 14. He says this, for the, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so what Paul describes here and what he gives us is sort of this grotesque picture, right, of, of one body part that's the, actually the whole body. Like it, it looks like something from some kind of Japanese anime cartoon or something like that. Or, or uh, I remember the first time that I encountered a surrealist painting and you know, Salvador Dali. Like you look at some of his stuff and it's just this one body piece. You're like, man, that's just weird. And that looks grotesque. You know, what's going on there? But, uh, you know, like, like it's some some tripped out psychedelic album cover from the 70s. Y'all remember some of that stuff, right? Like, man, that's just weird. Um, you know, but, but that's the whole point. That if, if one, if the body is made up of one part, it's not real, it's surreal, right? The reality is the body needs every single member in order to function and do well. And so one way of describing um, Again, you know, Paul here talks about this line. He's, he's, uh, the line that's, that, that the church in some ways has swallowed up is that, um, that certain parts uh, should have less honor than others, right? And that those parts are not needed by everyone else. And that's simply not true. I think for our single sisters and brothers here to believe that you are not needed by the church, is not true. Right? So our original readers, as they, were, as they heard this, this letter circulated throughout their, their, the city of Corinth and went to the different churches there. That, you know, they, they were hearing this, and what they were struggling with was this hierarchy around spiritual gifts. You know, some people were able to speak in a different language uh, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking in tongues, uh, and then others didn't have that gift. And so it's like, you know, who was better? You know, the people that had this kind of gift, but the people who had the gift of administration and such, you know, they weren't all that, you know, whatever, right? They're just kind of around, but they're second-class citizens in the church. And so Paul's speaking to them and saying, like, no, you know, all gifts matter, right? And then, you know, with every, uh, each gift here, every gifted person is needed in the body of Christ. And so he's speaking to our situation in the same way as saying that, that whether you are married, single, divorced, widowed, or never married, you are a gift, to God's people, and you are needed, and that is why we have. That is why we are, are looking forward to seeing each other being committed to one another, 
So Paul would say to us in this situation of a relational apartheid that, that singles are just as much of a gift to the church as marrieds. There's a story that I heard recently of a pastor, um, and he wrote it down in a, a book that he wrote about when the church was a family. And he talks about when he, he first got to the church where he serves now, uh, he and his wife. And, uh, you know, they didn't, of course, you move to a new church, you go to a new community. One of the first things you, you're hoping for and try to do is you know, look for new friends. And so he quickly realized that um, he didn't have everything that his wife needed because he's a dude, okay? So he just like I, like, I don't have everything that my wife needs. It's not enough, right, for, for those who are married to just live among themselves, right? We need other people. And so he, be, he began uh, to uh, a relationship with their worship leader who was an older single woman, and she became a part of their family. And what he found and what, what happened was um, she ended up becoming like an aunt um, to their kids. Um, she became one of his wife's best friends and also became a trusted friend of his. Their lives were made fuller because of the single friend that they allowed into their family life. And this is just one example of what we're talking about when we say that we need each other. It's a lie This is that we're told that once you get married, you need to leave behind all your friends, and it's just now just about the two of you becoming one flesh, right? And I mean, if you look back at that text, just as, you know, uh, uh, leave and cleave, right? And it's not talking about your friends, right? And it's, it's talking about your parents. And even then, as, you know, the original readers were reading that, right, in the, in the ancient Near East during that time, you, you still didn't, even the, like leaving your parents didn't mean you like, just completely just left them behind, right? Because you probably built your house right next door to theirs. So your parents were still there, but it's like, but functionally, you become the leader of your own home and that sort of deal. So we need, but we need to be careful. We need to be careful about the vision that we set forward for the church, for our, the relationship between singles and marrieds in the church. Um, The church needs singles committed not just to church work, but to the church, to the people. Right? And, and that's not by accident. Because here's my, here's my second point, that we need to embrace the truth. We need to embrace the truth about our relationships. We need to remember that marrieds and singles ought to be committed to one another because it is what God intended for us. He intended for us to be a family. So when Jesus, uh, Jesus talks about love, he talks about um, the love that uh, his, his people should have for one another, that there's a certain, there's a certain character to that love. Look at, with me again at John 15. Verse 9, he says this. Uh, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And I love this verse, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Do you see this now? So um, to love, in order to love, we need to be able to abide in the love that is between the Father and the Son. That is, we need to abide in a familial love, a familial love. Right? And, and then it's, a, and it's not just a, a familial love, but it's also sacrificial, right? Greater love has no one, and he laid down his life for his friends. It's, it's a sacrificial love. So we're, we're, we are called, church, to be a family that habitually receives and gives the love of God over and over and over again out of love. Out of the love that we receive from the Father through the Son, we lovingly seek each other's welfare above our own, right? Regardless of our marital status. And remember that uh, the, the truth that being mature is not about being married or having kids. Being mature is about being a responsible, loving participant of God's family. Right? Because anyone who is a parent, isn't that what you long for in your own kids? Is it when you finally see them take their place and you see them begin to participate in the family agenda and then like they, they, you can now start to rely on your children for something else and you see, their, you see them flourishing and now you're beginning to rely on, on, on one another, right? And it's not just like, I mean, this, this is the whole reason why parents get so upset with the chores and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean... Right, because you're just like, look, take your, do your part. Right, this is this is your family. Right, and, and so so we 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 ought to be. Uh, uh, maturity is about being responsible, loving participants in the family of God. We're called to love one another. Jesus says we're called to love one another as He loved us, sacrificially. The singles and marrieds together have to make some sacrifice to be lovingly involved in each other's lives. Because if we don't listen well to each other, we'll miss each other, right? And part of that sacrifice is learning how to listen well. We begin to miss each other's needs. I heard recently of uh, one uh, single sister, she talked about um, something that happened at her church and where she was being asked to participate in a Christmas Eve service. And it was one of these things, and I guess it came from the leadership or somewhere, that, you know, it's all hands on deck. Because it's a church-wide event, right? All hands on deck. If you're single, doesn't matter. You know, you, you should be there. But what she was, her point was like, wait, this is, I don't live in this town, and I've been here for most of the year serving, right? But guess what? I've been away from my family this whole time. So I need to go home for Christmas Eve. So I don't need to be made, be made to feel guilty, right, because I can't participate in a big church-wide event that's focused around a lot of families. But if we don't know each other's stories and what's going on in each other's lives and, and where the longings are and what's going on, then we, 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 we don't even, we get our, our programs get off, right? 
And we, we could begin to promote things that, that, that exclude others, intentionally or unintentionally. So being a family sometimes means scaling down on certain kinds of programs, or it means restoring some others. So, right, so just like teenagers, you know this, like you have to sacrifice some alone time so that you can sit at the dinner table and be with your family, right? So marrieds and singles have to sacrifice to become a family. We have to sacrifice in order to experience what it's like to be a family. Now, you know, as I'm saying these things, you might be like, hey, look, you know, let's, let's be fair because, you know, this whole problem, if you will, about uh, how to relate to singles in our church uh, is a fairly recent one, isn't it? Right? Weren't most people married young and had kids when they were at younger ages? Right? And, and, yet, and yet, you know, very, uh, you, you know, we need to look back. I mean, like, you know, very few Western churches had thriving single ministries in the 1930s. Right? <laughs> very few. And, and, and then, the, like, what do we even do about the, the more, uh, the, uh, the people groups among us that represent more traditional societies, Right? Right? And, and, and those traditional societies still make up the largest part of the world. But that's my point. Right? We could arrive at some biblical answers to all these things, at some biblical answers and some care for what marriage should do and what we could do in order to experience equal relationships with our single sisters and brothers among us if we would allow them to be in places of leadership so that they can help us ask the right questions. We have to come to the same table. We have to come to the same table and be equals. Be family. And this is why at Christ Central, we don't have segregated small groups. We don't have a small group just for singles and a small group just for married people. And I know some of you guys have probably maybe, you know, have gotten frustrated. You're like, man, I wish I just had just one small group that was just for, you know, people who are parents and just one small group just for those who are single. But look, nobody is saying, like, you can't develop relationships, right, you know, with, with others who are in a similar stage of life and that sort of deal. But we're not going to set up intentionally these groups that are just for you for a long period of time because you never then get to experience the blessing of being in relationship with others who are different from you. And you heard it already this morning. You know, LeVan had us do it. She had us recite the mission of our church, right? And part of it is growing in, not outside of, not alongside, right? But growing in diverse community. That's why we do it. So that we can learn how to be a family. How to be the family of God. And, and one, of the, one of the things that's, uh, that's awesome is what we have coming up is, uh, and what you just heard of and you know, um, if you go outside in the hallway, you'll see, right, just with, even just within our women's ministry alone, there are all these different opportunities for singles and married to be able to mix with one another, hear each, other, each other's struggles, hear each other's questions, learn from that, right, and be able to grow together, right? The church's primary agenda is not family values. The church doesn't exist to build up marrieds and families. 
the church exists to be the family of God. If we would keep to what Christ has commanded, then singles of every life stage, marrieds, and all sorts of families will be built up together, and we'll experience the joy of Jesus among us, and his joy will begin to satisfy us. Right? But so how, how, do we, how do we realize the truth about our relationship as the, the family of God? How do we, how do we get there? Right? We, the last, this is my last point. We need to be able to embrace the promise of our relationship. We, got, we need to be able to embrace the promise, right? Because what's, what's really going to do it? Is it just sheer willpower? Just work harder and we'll get there and we'll get to experience, you know, the, the, the family of God. We'll get over our, our differences, the, the envy and the struggles and, and that sort of deal. And, you know, we'll stop abandoning each other and that, that sort of deal. And we'll, we'll live, walk hand in hand and, yeah, it'll be great, right? And, and, and it, it's important to do, like, a, a, my family and I, we just saw the, um, the Lion King. Lion King is in town, many of you know, um, here in Charlotte. And, uh, you know, there's that line, right, where uh, uh, Simba, you know, here's his father, here's Mufasa, remember. And, and, and that's what he knows, like, okay, yeah, I can, I can still be king. I can step into this. I can step forward. Yeah, we do need to remember the truth, but we need, there's something else that is needed. There's a, there's a promise that we need to embrace. We need a power to rely on for our relationships. If reconciliation is going to happen, we need power and a promise for our need. Yes, we can find the love of God in the cross. That is true. Hallelujah. Right? We find power and comfort and the promise of having our, our sins forgiven, of knowing that, 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 we, that we don't have to struggle with, you know, with our guilt and shame anymore, right? But it's important to know some of the other riches of Christ. And one of the, the one that I'm going to highlight here is easy to miss because we're, we're, we're all part of a, We're not in the ancient Near Eastern culture. And it's this. An ancient Near Eastern family was a big deal, uh, not just because of natural relations, right? Not just because you had somebody else that you grew up with and they kind of know you and you know them, but because it was a, a big deal economically, right? To be a part of a, a big family uh, meant that you, you had a, a better chance of succeeding in life. Right? There, was, there was economic interdependence there. And so like a small business in some ways, you wanted a wealthy grandfather right, who was at the head. And, and, and that, that meant that there would be job security for his sons and also for his grandsons. And, and that meant financial security for their families. So you wanted to be in a good family that prospered, right? You wanted to be in a good family that was secure. And if the leaders of that family were righteous, then you knew that that prosperity was going to be locked in tight. Because that grandfather prayed. He had his Bible open all the time. And when you forgot how to pray, your grandfather was praying for you. You just knew that prosperity was coming your way. You didn't have to worry about a thing. This is why Jesus' followers were in shock 
when he said to them that it's harder for, rich, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. They were shocked. But here's why I mention this. Because we still desire security in an insecure world, don't we? We want to have the fullest life possible. If we have to be embedded in a good family in order to feel complete and secure, then we'll place it above everything else. Marrieds will want the church to focus on marriage and family classes first. Singles will want the church to drop everything else and help them to actualize themselves so that they can find security. But what, what if you were already in the blessed family? What if you didn't have to secure security for yourself? What if the kingdom was already given to you because Christ lives in you? <laughs> I remember that song, The Lion King again, right? When, when, when Simba, he's got to go back. He's, he's, he's lost, you know, right? He's out there with, with Timun and, and Pumbaa, right? And he's this Hakuna Matata, right? You know, this whatever. Stuff is, is, is miserable. I'm just kind of out here eating grubs and stuff like that. Well, whatever. Just, just, you know, don't look at the bad stuff, right? Hakuna Matata, just come on. But he knows that there's still a kingdom out there. There's still pride rock. There's still a place where I belong. Can I have it? And what, what Rafiki, and Rafiki comes to him and he tells him, remember that he lives in you. He lives in you. And he lives in me. And if Christ is in you, then the kingdom is yours. And you don't have to try to secure a kingdom for yourself if it's already given to you. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't have to compete against each other. We don't have to say, oh, wait, but I want the church to be about this for me, or I want the church has to be this for me, and I wish you'd be here and serve me this way, or man, but you need to do this. No, I can give because everything has already been given to me. The kingdom is ours if Christ is in us. And this is the point. Abide in my love, he says. Abide in it, right? Live in me. He lives in me. If he lives in you, then his kingdom, his family is yours. The inheritance of God's family belongs to you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Look at Christ and rely upon what is yours. Rely upon what is yours through him. Your security, not only for now, but for eternity. See, the, the more that Marrieds and singles begin to love one another, the more that we'll actually experience the family of God. Don't we want that joy? Don't we want to experience that? Doesn't the world need that? 
We're called to be a people who habitually receive and give the love of God. We are called not to believe the lie. We are called rather to remember the truth that marrieds and singles are gifts to one another. But see, it's all right for us to focus on the family. It's okay to do that. Just don't stop there. But let's continue to learn how to be the family of God. For that is what, uh, what we were called to be. And that's what we will be able to do if we would abide in Jesus. One last thing here. I think it's pretty funny um, that when Jesus established himself as our Savior, he did it as what? A single man. Isn't that interesting? That's another sermon. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a family, for bringing us together. For many of us have uh, walked alone. Um, and Father, some of that loneliness has come from uh, division within your family, being abandoned by others. Um, God, we need you to heal us, to bring reconciliation in the church between marrieds and singles, that we could experience uh, the, the family that you intended us to be. You said if we abide in Jesus, then we would love one another. Help us to do that, Lord, according to the, the promise and the presence of your spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.